Welcome to the Weightless Podcast, broadcasting to you from the land of horses and bourbon, Louisville, Kentucky. I am Tom, and I'm here with my longtime friend and colleague, Brad, and we are on the data science team at Capture Higher Ed. Brad, how are you, sir? I am doing awesome, Tom. How about yourself, man? Can't can't complain. It's like the uh, it's like that song that the uh, was it Joe Walsh. Like, I can't complain, but sometimes I still do. You know, I'm I'm not super up on on my Joe Walsh canon. I have a couple <laughs> of Joe Walsh tunes, but uh, aside from his work with the Eagles, I don't think I'm going to be able to bust out uh, bust Tr- out too. Trust many me, Joe it's Walsh. a it's a classic. It's a yeah, it's really yeah. good. So so Brad, I um you know uh, in our in, in my ever-increasing uh, effort to try and uh, evangelize data science. I I attended my uh, son's, uh, I have twin boys uh, who are in third grade, and I attended their uh, career day to try and convince people that data science is cool. And you know, you have, you have like the, you know, movies or even just bad dreams where you're maybe, or you've seen it where, you know, the dad's going in and and he's sitting there waiting to talk, and then this race car driver dad comes in, and like all the kids are going crazy, like yay! And then he's sitting there, and he stands up, and he says, "You know, I sell insurance or something like that." Yeah, absolutely. This this is a common trope. It's actually like comedic gold yes. career day for kids. That's right. So, so I lived uh, this. I actually lived this. So I went to the school, right, and they they showed me where I was going to be talking to these kids, and then I. I walked around. They had like a, a refreshments and coffee uh, in the gym. So I'm walking through the gym, and I walked past the police officer uh, station, which had um, a saddle and an actual horse. You know, like uh, the police, you know, have the the horse unit. Okay, so there's that, and I keep going down. And right before I get to the coffee, I look down, and and there was a station, and there wasn't anybody there yet. But I was just looking at the person's name, and then it said professional MMA fighter. And I knew it was over. <laughs> I was like, there's, Hey, here's a data visualization kids. Uh, yay data. <laughs> yeah. It, I, honestly, I mean, an MMA fighter is pretty sweet, but, uh, I, I, I gotta tell you, man, I'm surprised you just didn't lose to the horse. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but no, I, th- I think I held my own. I showed them like uh, visualizations about. Uh, there was one visualization like we'll put it in the show notes about uh, the uh, you know each genre of music. So every song that was produced since 1950 to 2010 and what genre of music it was. So we get them debating about which was the most popular type of music of all time. And I say, hey, that's actually knowable. Uh, so I think I, I think I held my own. Uh, and plus, my my ears aren't aren't messed up like a MMA fighter, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's that's we'll go ahead and call that a success. It's a I win. Mean, when, when you were actually talking to people, um, you know, the articles have been written and there have been discussions that data science is the quote sexiest job of the right. 21st century, and uh, I certainly don't feel like um, oh, maybe they're talking about the work rather than the people i don't personally feel like one of the sexiest people of the 21st century (laughs) i also think that most of my job is like cleaning data and so it's not especially sexy but were you able to sell a bunch of third they're they're third graders right that's right third through fifth graders were you able to sell a bunch of third through fifth graders on the idea that you had the sexiest job of the 21st century (laughs) 
I didn't use those terms, but I, I hope so. We talked about okay. – uh, so we were in the library, and we say, hey, you know, what if you took every letter from every book in this library or how much – you know, say that's a piece of data. How much data would this whole library have? And they make these wild guesses like 18 million or something. And I said, well, you know, how about in the entire United States? And then they start using made-up terms for, you know, bazillions and uh, – you know, we go from there. It's like, well, how would you see a pattern and all that? And you would use computers to do it. I think, I think I held my own. I actually did. So that that is awesome, man. I I'm telling you, if uh, I don't know, if if I ever get invited to a, a third grade career, third through fifth grade career day to talk about data science, you know what I'm gonna do? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, call me. I've got I've got a slide deck. I can uh, walk you through it. It's a nice Prezi presentation. I'm just kidding. Uh, cool. I I was actually gonna say I was I'll just have a bot do it. <laughs> Couldn't be more data science than that. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to build a bot to explain my life. So, man, it's uh, it's Friday afternoon in the universe, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, and uh, we're we're excited to have a, a data conversation, but we're we're also excited to, to crack open some beers, man. So, uh, happy Friday! What beer Absolutely. do you have waiting? I have a uh, a nice tall pint can of arrogant bastard ale. Um, Tom, and this 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 is a family production. It is, but I literally that's uh, yeah no arrogant bastard ale, and uh, this was a a favorite beer of a uh, a, a friend of mine. Uh, uh, her brother passed away, and this was his favorite beer. So this is a, actually kind of a, a, an opportunity to send a toast uh, to them and um, and enjoy a nice beer here on Friday afternoon. So, uh, sir, what do you have? So, uh, I have a, a, a kind of an unusual beer, but this is a, a massive bomber. This is Thor's Fury from <laughs> the Hammerheart Brewing Company. Look at that. Um, and uh, they're located in Lino Lakes, Minnesota. You have to listen to this description because okay. it, is, it is pretty fantastic. Thor's Fury is an imperial hot pepper porter aged in hot sauce and bourbon barrels. And uh, for those of you who, just who don't follow, they don't follow. They're just making follow, it up. No, it's it's absolutely true. For those of you who don't follow uh, the whole the whole bourbon world, once bourbon barrels are used, they get they can only be used once, and then they get used to age a bunch of other things, including hot sauce. So uh, Hammerheart wow. Brewing used uh, uh, barrels that once had bourbon, then had hot sauce, now uh, had this beer. Um, the other thing is I have to give a quick shout out because one of the beer tenders at, uh, at Hammerheart who gave me this beer is a good friend of mine. Her name is Krista. She actually happens to be a ridiculously good educational researcher and uh, a really strong data scientist and data analyst in her own right, in addition to working at an awesome brewery. So uh, thanks for the beer, Krista. And uh, I'm really curious to try out a super heavy, super spicy, super uh, aged beer. All right. That was also really hard to open. For the yeah. All right. Cheers, my friend. Cheers, dude. Let's see if I can get this open. All right. Success. How is it, man? It's delicious. It is delicious. It's got on the can right in the front. It says, you're not worthy. Look I like I like my beer to talk is. trash to me. I know, right? Oh, wow. That's crazy. All right. I'm going to give this a try. Let's see how we do. It smells very, very spicy. Yeah, you might not be able to finish this podcast, but that's okay. Wow, that is a punch in the face. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is a terrific, but very flavorful beer. 
I should say terrific and flavorful. Right. Anyhow, so today on the show we have uh, we have Dan Jarrett. Dan is a data scientist at Infinite Campus, um, and Dan actually, I, I I actually didn't get the the super origin of how he found out about us, but um, in some way, shape, or form, uh, we were we were talking about predictive models and. Resolve conference a couple of weeks ago, um, Dan tweeted at us, and I responded to him and uh, said, "Hey, uh, I'd love to answer your question." And it turned out that we live in the same city, or we live nearby one another. And uh, Dan and I went and had coffee and had a really uh, fascinating discussion. And Dan is totally a data scientist. Data scientist. He, uh, if there is a question to be asked, he will think about it the way that a data scientist thinks about it. And uh, sometimes. Uh, goes to extreme. So uh, I think you'll all find you'll all find this very interesting. But I, in, in addition to working in the education space and being a smart dude and an interesting dude, I think that one of the things that Dan really brings to the conversation is this is the way that a data scientist orders the world, which yeah. is why I think he, he'll be a great guest for us. Yeah, we get asked a ton of times about data science and what it is exactly. How is it different than, um, you know, business intelligence or other types of analytics or just base statistics? And I think Dan shows you that, actually walks you through it in the way that he speaks, the way that he talks about things, the, the depth of thinking. And uh, that's really what we wanted to bring uh, with him. And we're, we're actually going to break this into two parts and uh, so we can really kind of let Dan do his thing. And so enjoy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the intro uh, introduction and the invitation. So, uh, yeah, no worries. Uh, Dan, uh, why don't you tell us quickly about your background? You uh, actually do have some enrollment management experience, which is which is interesting. So I'd love to know about your pathway um, to your data science role and, and where you come from. I was an admission counselor at Valparaiso University at the start of my career. I worked at recruiting students, of course, standard admission counselor tasks, driving to Wisconsin, driving to the Chicago suburbs. Valparaiso University is in Northwest Indiana. And so I had a territory like uh, many of your listeners who are admission counselors will have. And this was my first year as an admission counselor. I didn't have a lot of knowledge about how best to do my job. I had some training on the job, but I saw in the student recruitment CRM that there were a lot of potential students who were in my territory and I had a limited amount of time and I wanted to know how best should I use my time and how best should I guide the students who were working with me doing phone calls or tours or things like that. How would I best suggest that they use their time to get the, the best yield out of my territory? And that's not something that Velpo was prepared to do at that point. I was just not the business practice of the admissions office. So I had to do a lot of ad hoc work to, to go through uh, EMIS Pro, which was our CRM, and to do data exports from that, and then put it into Excel and try to figure out really instinctually, what are the outcomes that I wanted? How would I spend my time to maximize those outcomes. It was not formal, but it was the very start of my interest in applying what I now know as data science to the enrollment management domain. And so when I left Valpo, because my wife entered grad school, so I headed up to Chicago and worked for the National Merit Scholarship Corporation, then I took that interest with me. And at National Merit, 
we didn't do anything of the sort. Of course, we managed scholarships for a lot of people. But I saw families' stories as they came through applying for scholarships and telling us through their applications where they were interested in going to school, why they were interested in studying what, what they wanted to study. I saw the family's stories, and that was an important part of enrollment management, that it was not always clear. As a representative of Valparaiso, I had the university's interests at heart, and I worked to better the future of the university by way of helping families. But then at National Merit, it was completely the opposite. The first task was to understand the family's needs. And I really, really loved reading those applications because I got a sense of knowing the students. And one thing that I found out was that from the university's side, resource optimization is very much knowing who is likely to move to the next stage of the funnel. But from the family side, they, it's completely different questions. They don't really care about the university's funnel, of course. What they care are questions like, do I know about all of the colleges that might be a good fit for me? So there's a, a discovery question. They care about the fit. Once they have a set of colleges, they care about which ones should they apply to. There's a lot of resources spent in application or music audition tapes or visiting, things like that, not to mention the actual cost of some of the applications. So, so Dan, you're working very much now into um, you know a world of advanced uh, analytics and data science. But it's interesting you had this this perspective and this background in admissions, working directly with families. How do you think that informs the way that you think in terms of analytics now? Uh, is is that background uh, been proven to be helpful to you? In some ways, working in admissions helped me to see that there is a world of educational administration that doesn't use data analytics in the way that some other industries might. Uh, for instance, the car industry that says, you know, we want to completely optimize our resources and make the best uh, production pipeline for our cars. You know, that happened back in the 80s in Japan or Silicon Valley today, that the education domain is still working a lot with gut instinct. They're working a lot with business practices learned over a long time, but where there is less of an opportunity to, to go back and measure how well a certain policy has performed. And something that data science brings to the table, is, uh, you know, one of a few uh, types of analyses is that it says, if you want to perform better as, uh, as an industry, in this case, educational administration or recruitment or in K-12 uh, outcomes in the schools, that measuring how well you do, not with standardized tests, but just measuring our students getting to the outcomes that, uh, that we expect, like high school graduation, and what are the factors that correlate with that to help, help us understand why students are or are not reaching the outcomes that we desire. But that was really interesting to me, that it was a place where there was a lot of what we might call low-hanging fruit, where we could say that we're starting from square one to do data analytics in a way that is that uses modern data science techniques uh, in a way that helps 
users. It does not replace users. We're not, you know, replacing counselors or teachers or admission counselors or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But we're helping those people who are on the front lines building relationships with students and families. We're helping them understand where to spend their time better so that they can reach students who are on the margin, for instance. So that that is something that I care deeply about using data science to not sell more widgets, but to build more relationships. So that's that's an interesting perspective, Dan. I mean, the the idea that uh, that any industry using data can uh, work a little bit faster and uh, be a bit smarter, be a bit more effective. Um, and it's something we've talked about a number of times where some of these techniques that uh, that have been brought to bear in the enrollment space or in the education space have been uh, widely in use for uh, decades now in in other industries. So, um, so that that's that's a that's a pretty compelling discussion. I, I wanted to ask you really quickly about. Uh, so, you were talking about your time at the National Merit Corporation, um, and you you talked about sort of the search space for uh, college for students trying to find the right college. Um, and obviously, there's a data science solution to that. Um, and I, I don't want to I don't want to uh, jump on your punchline. Um, but we did have a discussion over coffee about a way that you kind of thought through that problem. And I'd be interested in, uh, in uh, I think our, our listeners would be interested in hearing you describe one of the ways that you thought through this kind of mismatching problem with regard to uh, students connecting up with colleges. Yeah, I welcome the opportunity. I have thought about the problem of college recommendation now for some years. And in my mind, college recommendation could have four distinct components. You could be working with families who want to discover more colleges. You could be working with families who want to, given a college list, make it smaller and only apply to a few of those colleges. You could be helping families build a portfolio of schools that by which they can maximize the probably the reputation of the schools that they get into, uh, but not spend too much time and money applying to every university under the sun. And then fourth, uh, families who want to minimize the overall cost of college. So there are really four distinct problems that I see, and you can't build one system to do all of those, but my favorite problem of those is the problem of discovery. How do you help families figure out that there is a college out there and it actually probably fits you pretty well, but given that there are 2,000 four-year colleges uh, that are uh, not-for-profit or public, another uh, couple of thousand that are uh, I probably have those numbers wrong. Okay. I haven't thought about this in a while. Given, <laughs> that there, yes, given that there are a lot of colleges out there and that even professional college counselors don't know every college that is out there, how is a student or a, a, a parent who are probably first or second time going through this process, how were they expected to know about all of the options? So I focused on discovery and I know, Brad, you've talked about before thinking about, well, what if we were to build a Netflix style recommender for this? And so it turns out that, yes, you can. And also it is a lot different than what mm -hmm. Netflix does. Uh, Netflix has the, the wonderful opportunity to have a giant library of items, far more than there are colleges in the, in the country. They can give you that item right away. You can consume that movie or that TV show immediately. You can give feedback right away that is 
somewhat low dimensional that you more or less liked the movie, even though there there is a what we would call a high dimensional space. You might have liked one actor's performance or you might have liked one part of the genre, but not another part of that genre. That in general, it's a lower dimensional space than colleges are, where you have a lot of things to think through in the college decision process, more than movies or music or books. The cost of items is very low on Netflix compared to college. And so on Netflix, you can consume those items very rapidly. In college, of course, you do not. The rate of feedback that we get about your preferences for colleges is far, far, far lower than for other consumable items. So you might think of this domain as like luxury items. Other things like colleges might be uh, houses, cars, if you're doing uh, maybe buying insurance or dating, buying investments, uh, career changes, job searches, things like this. And some of these are experiential, right? Like I don't even, if I've never taken a cruise, I don't really actually know if I like cruises until I'm on the cruise ship in the middle of the ocean, That's right? That's right. That's right. And you're not going to, you're not going to marry more than one person at a time. <laughs> right. And really a different. lot of times the things that you think you might like are actually totally the opposite, but right. you don't have, uh, as you would say, in a high dimensional space, you don't have an opportunity for a redo on that. So, yeah. uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating way of thinking about that. Um, keep, keep going. I'm, I'm so, yeah, I keep going. We, uh, we, yeah, we could talk all day, but, uh, yeah. So, so keep, keep, uh, keep walking through. So I, I think just really quickly to jump in, you haven't just thought about this problem. You actually like, built one of these out. So when Dan is sort of, I think that you, you skipped the, the beginning part, which was, or maybe I'm, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, the conversation that we're having is very much Dan walking through how he actually uh, conceptualized this idea. Is that, is that about right? That's right. Uh, working, in, working at National Merit and Valparaiso, and then later on my own, I worked through the structure of what are the problems in this domain? And then built something and solved it. Uh, and by solved it, I do not mean solved it in complete sense. I mean built one possible solution for it. And I would be very happy to walk you through what I did. So yes. For I, I think I think that would be awesome. T uh, tell us what you did. So the college recommender that, that I created, I, I first had to figure out what are the current solutions in the market and what problems are they not solving? So the very first solution for college discovery is the United States government's College Navigator website, which mm -hmm. is a database query tool that, that is built on top of the iPads database. And so for your users who are not familiar, iPads is a series of structured questions that the United States Department of Education asks of colleges in the United States. They provide a fairly rich data set, and then the government makes access to that data public. You can download the entire data set and get a filtered list of colleges that fit your uh, desired filters on this College Navigator site. So it's very useful. It's free. And I think everyone in our space um, maybe contributes to iPads and certainly benefits from iPads as a public data set. So I highly encourage your listeners to go in and check that out. College Navigator is wonderful, but it assumes that you have a very, very good idea of what you want from an institution before you arrive. For some of these items, like maybe I'm from Portland, Maine, and I know that I want an in-state school. 
it's pretty easy for me to go to College Navigator and say, find me all colleges in Maine, or maybe find all colleges in Maine that offer bachelor's degrees. That's easy enough. A site like College Navigator is a perfect tool to solve that problem. But as soon as you get down to more nuanced qualities, it's a lot harder for you to say exactly what you want. Maybe you have a whole bunch of majors or you're undecided about a major, but you sort of want to be in the business space or the marine biology space, but it would be okay if it didn't have marine biology. You just wanted to be prepared for maybe a, a graduate degree in that. These get into pretty nuanced questions. So another website that attempted to get at that sort of nuance was Hobson's College View. And College View is very much like College Navigator, except that it includes some private data. It's not all iPads, it's some of their own. And it includes this ability for you to say, I kinda want, or I very much want, or I must have the answer to a certain filter. And you can mix and match those. And so you can say it has to be in Maine, but it's kind of important that it's a certain size and it's very important that it has a certain uh, gender ratio. Okay, that, that more or less reflects reality. People do have preferences and they, they say them like kind of very must have. So College View did a good job doing that, but it still requires you to come to the college discovery process knowing what uh, and we'd call them like a, a preference space, knowing what your preferences are affirmatively. I was interested in a different set of families and students, those who were not able to explicitly say, this is why I like a certain college. I wanted to address the problem of knowing that you liked a college that had a certain fit or feel that you could not state why that is. You might have visited Valpo and liked it, but it was hard to say exactly why. Maybe you also visited NYU, you liked it. You visited UW-Madison, you liked it. You visited a few others, you didn't like them as much. And so the question that I had was, if you like Valpo and UW-Madison and NYU, what is it about those three schools that would allow a college recommender to say, aha, we think we know what it is about you through those schools that you said yes to that would allow us to suggest more schools that had properties similar to those three that then you could go explore, maybe visit, uh, maybe ask for more material or just go to their websites. So that's what I built. And that was pretty exciting to do because you immediately had a preference elicitation problem. That's the, the term for it. Preference elicitation means computationally, you're trying to figure out what is it that people want? In order to do that, you have to infer it. So inference is an, is an actual uh, statistical problem. And the way that the, uh, the inference worked is, if I said I like Velpo, then, and, and that's all the system knew, it would just assume that I liked everything about Velpo equally. Okay. Then if I say I like UW-Madison as well, then the system did two things. First, it said, what properties do Valpo and Madison have in common? Those are things that are it's more likely that you like. And the things that Valpo and Madison have not in common are things that are less likely to be important to you. That's trivializing it because users 
can, and by users, I mean students and, and family members here, can have preferences that are not just in one place on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. so, so the very first case was find a single place on a spectrum that we, that I believe that people, that people want to be at. So if you like Madison and Valpo and NYU, it was probably the size of the town, Madison, medium-sized city, New York is enormous. And so if I was going to recommend a college to you, size of city that it's in would not be an important factor. But it may be that uh, academic quality that you may want, maybe you'd want something about in the top 20% in the country, that all three of those are fine academic schools with Madison and, and NYU being excellent. And so similarity search weighted by how much we believe that something is important to you, it was important. Uh, and so and the second improvement was how likely is it that you that your preference for those vectors i'm sorry i'm using uh, vector yeah. vector is a mathematical term here that just means the collection of things that you like so a, a preference vector would just be all of the things that you like all strung together into one uh, data structure that you and and when you when you say uh, things you like these are estimates of what you think you know you have sort of uh, using inference have presumed that people like based on the similarities between these schools, just to like walk down the, the math chain on that. Is that about right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and actually it's- No, people like, there are things that you are inferring that people like based on what you just described. Yeah, and it's doubly hard because people don't always know what they like. And so you have a, you have a problem of preference being a latent space. Latent means that you can't actually observe it. Right. So there's a latent space inside people's heads of their preferences. They can't always tell you or even know what all of those preferences are. And in addition, they may not have experienced something before, so they don't even know if they like it anyway. So that's problem one. Problem two is that the evidence that we have about what their preferences are is limited. We may know that they like Velpo and Madison and NYU, but we don't know a whole bunch of other things. So we have a, an inference problem where we have to infer preferences, but keep in mind that there's a lot of uncertainty around this. And so the inference task has to include some measure of uncertainty, which is not only measuring uncertainty given the values that we know that you like for, that are characteristics of these colleges that you said you liked, but there's also a chance that colleges that are similar, that you, you said you like these colleges, maybe they're similar by chance. And they could be similar by chance because colleges tend to uh, not be evenly distributed. So the median college size is about 4,000 students. There are just a lot more small colleges than there are big colleges. Mm -hmm. And so if you say you like a college that's 4,000 students large, then is that by chance? Or is it because you actually have a preference for that? We don't know. There's, so that means that there's uncertainty around our inference. But we do go through this inference process anyway, and we measure uncertainty around that. Once we have measures of, or in, not measures of, we have inferences about every student's preference for every piece of the content vector that is characteristics of the colleges and uncertainty, then we can apply 
what we call here a utility function. A utility function is just take everything that we think about you and wrap it up into a single mathematical function that is able to score a college based on how close it is to what we would consider high utility for you. That is, what do you like? And so we would get, we would pass all of the remaining colleges that are not Madison, NYU, or Valpo through the utility function that we have estimated for you, and we would get out results with uncertainty measures for every other college in the country. And then we would be able to rank them and give you the answers. That worked fairly well. It turns out that there are some other complexities about the search that I'm sure you know very well. For instance, how likely am I to get in or how much aid am I going to get that were important to actually productionizing this college recommender. But at the very beginning, just the discovery phase, what I've mentioned turned out pretty well. I ended up doing this using iPads data only and then found that it did not adequately encapsulate everything about a college's fit or feel. And so I had a lot of fun adding new bespoke data sets to, to this. For instance, Valparaiso is an independent Lutheran university, which means that it's not operated by any particular church body, but it has Lutheran heritage. And we would get a lot of people coming in who were from the conservative Lutheran group and some coming in from a more liberal Lutheran group, some coming in from Roman Catholic groups or other. And as an admission counselor, I had to figure out, was the faith environment important for students looking at Valparaiso? And if so, what sort of faith environment were they looking for and making sure that I could answer questions uh, that would be most helpful to them? usually trying to find a faith community that fit them the best. And that made me really sensitive to faith being important. There are hundreds of colleges in the United States that are faith affiliated. And that means that if you're going to figure out the fit or feel of a college, faith is important. Uh, so I figured out a two-dimensional, well, multi-dimensional, but one-dimensional is how important is the faith heritage to this college? Does it is it just there in the history? Is it present but not uh, critically important? Or does it really guide the day-to-day -day activities of, of that college? Separately, the faith itself was important. And it turns out that maybe if you are a conservative Lutheran, you may prefer to go to a conservative reformed college rather than a liberal Lutheran college. Even though you've got a shared liturgical heritage, you may, you may prefer the conservative faith rather than the, the liberal Lutheran faith. Totally so, understandable. So, so you have to model that as well. So Dan, to think about this in, in maybe a, a slightly lower, lower level um, with a little bit less abstraction, basically what you're doing is you are searching for, for kind of the middle ground so if, if people can imagine in their mind sort of a, a triad, which would have, you know, sort of three nodes, one would be uh, the University of Wisconsin at Madison, one would be NYU, and one would be Valparaiso in uh, Northwest Indiana. Those three schools, somewhere in, in the middle, so to speak, is a school or a set of schools with, of course, some error. Um, and, uh, and, and that error says a lot, but that's effectively what you're looking for. And, and the result of this, correct me if I'm wrong, is a choice set of schools that sort of match preferences that are similar uh, between those three schools. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the idea is that if we think you like, if you say you like Valparaiso and NYU and Madison, that the colleges that you will also like are probably 
some combination of the features of Valpo, NYU, and Madison. Just like if you say that you like Star Wars and Star Trek, that our best recommendation is probably some other space opera science fiction. The, the Space the, opera the, science fiction. Well done, sir. That is big time. I personally just, you know, being someone who likes to interpret movie data, I would have gone with like Bridges of Madison County. Star Trek, if, Star Wars of Madison County. Those three just on point. So if me, you want to, if you want to do this, uh, Group Lens is my research lab at the University of Minnesota, and we publish Movie Lens, which is a an open recommender system that actually I encourage any of your listeners to check out if they want movie recommendations, but they don't want to go through Netflix or anything like that. MovieLens.org is the way to do that, and Movie Lens data is publicly accessible. So. Brad, if you want to make your own movie recommender or you want to figure out what movies are co-watched with each other, you have the data for that, movielens.org. I, I appreciate just, that. Yeah, you just planned out his weekend right there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Can- cancel the plans. Cancel our dinner reservations. I will be on Movie Lens. A big thank you to Dan Jarrett. You can hear part two of our interview with him on episode 23. Uh, we want to hear from you. In the meantime, you can tweet at us at waitlist. Please do us a favor and share the podcast and leave us a rating on iTunes or your favorite listening app. You can check out our GitHub repo for some useful tools to help your team stay data awesome at github.com forward slash capture labs. For example, we've loaded there a translated SAT ACT concordance table in a variety of different programming languages like SAS or Stata, SPSS, Python, and the R programming language. You can take our PodTrack listener survey. A link can be found at CaptureHigherEd.com slash waitlist. You can also become a friend of the show on the Untapped app to check out the beers we enjoyed during the podcast and find out where you can get them in your hometown. Just search for the Waitlist podcast in the Add a Friend section of the app and let us know what your favorite beer is, and we'll include it in future episodes of the show. A big thank you to Alicia Rice, our executive producer. And big thanks to you, Brad, and thanks to you, everyone out there listening. Have a great day. Thanks, Tom. The Waitlist Podcast is a supporter of the Creative Commons and open source online communities everywhere. A link to the bump music used in this podcast can be found in the show description and at capturehighered.com forward slash waitlist.